0: This episode is brought to you only by the members of the Best of the Left podcast. For details, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Countdown, Ring of Fire, The Daily Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Colbert Report, Counterspin, and NPR.
1: Haiti is also the topic of tonight's first quick comment. And at a time of great humanity and great generosity in this country and all other countries towards people in need, our great national shame is again underlined. The small percentage of us who will not only turn anything, even this, into an excuse and a conduit for hatred and racial prejudice, but who arrogantly believe they have an entitlement to this hatred and its expression, people who are led by Rush Limbaugh. After yesterday having projected his own hatred of minorities into the sad and somber equation of Haiti, Limbaugh today discouraged Americans from contributing to Haitian earthquake relief. When a listener noted that donations could be made to the Red Cross via the, Web, the White House website, Limbaugh asked, Would you trust that the money is going to go to Haiti? Would you trust that your name is going to end up on a mailing list for the Obama people to start asking you for campaign donations for him and other causes? Limbaugh then completed the expression of his subhumanity. Besides, we've already donated to Haiti, it's called the U.S. Income Tax. The conservative website Red State has a front page link for Haitian relief donations via the Salvation Army. The site's National Review and Town Hall and Fox News have front page links for Haitian relief donations via the Worldview Organization. SeanHannity.com has a front page link to Haitian relief donations via the Red Cross. Rush Limbaugh.com has a front page link to a company that sells gold coins. It was a Saxon jurist who seems to have said it first in 1673, and it applies tonight. More inhumanity to man has been done by man himself than any other of nature's causes.
2: It learned how to
3: hurt, and it learned how to cry. a few animals that will scavenge graves for food. It's an animal that shows no respect for the dead, instead it merely regards the misfortune of once-living carcasses as an opportunity. In East Nigeria, they have a belief that there are people who are capable of turning themselves into hyenas at will. Rush Limbaugh gave credence to that Nigerian superstition last week when he used the tragedy of 100,000 Haitian men, women and children to promote himself as America's number one radio thug without a heart or without a conscience. The pseudo-manly rational thinker without a heart radio bit is nothing new for Rush. He's built his career by giving his listeners reasons to hate, to fear, to judge and to attack the easiest targets among our fellow man. Last week that target was dead, dying, starving, terrified Haitians who ranged in age from newborn to 90. Rush picks his targets well. While the world was seeing pictures of bodies of Haitian children being dug up from earthquake rubble, Rush was once again asserting himself as the dispassionate, clear-thinking, fraudulent, tough guy who masters concepts that are way beyond the grasp of less insightful observers, according to Rush. That's the Rush stick. He projects this idea that as America's conservative brain trust, he's the only one, the only precise, insightful thinker capable of rising above those lesser human emotions like compassion or empathy or decency. His 11 years in school no doubt equipped him for that. Rush is always selling himself as a character you might find in the cult books of Nietzsche or Ayn Rand. His listeners seem to eat up the idea of him being wholly unsympathetic, thoroughly narcissistic and all-knowing when everybody else around him, according to Rush, is weighted down with all those weak-minded beliefs that the well-being of our fellow man actually matters. Limbaugh is much like that Nigerian mythical creature who evolved to the point that he's pure hyena and less human being. When he suggested last week that there was no need for Americans to provide for Haitians because we've already paid income taxes, he knew that statement would improve his radio ratings. A real ditto head? Well, they'll embrace that idea and he knew it. After that, he used his mic time to politicize the tragedy by suggesting that in keeping with Obama's new health care reform death panel policies, Americans were going to give pills to Haitians that would end their lives and their suffering. That was great radio entertainment in Rush World, and as he spoke those words, I'm certain he was focused on how his incredibly clever snarkiness could exact bigger Nielsen ratings from the dead bodies of Haitian earthquake victims. Haitians are easy targets for hate talkers like Rush. After all, they're black, and as we've heard from every neocon nut with a microphone, they pose an illegal immigration problem in America. They live in self-imposed, self-perpetuated poverty on a useless island. Worse yet, if you believe the TV evangelist Pat Robertson, they're Satan worshipers capable of black magic and sorcery. As I watch this story unfold, I'm hopeful that a surviving Haitian is going to use sorcery to change Russia's bloated figure from a hyena back into a human
2: being.
1: But our winner, Bill O, the Clown. About 60 networks carried the Haitian earthquake telethon Friday night. CNN did, we did, CNBC didn't, CNN headline didn't, Fixed News didn't, but at least most of them did not, in lieu of the telethon, instead run a pathetic program whose lead story was about how great the program was and how great its coverage of Haiti had been. Billo did. Fox News had almost six times as many viewers as MSNBC in primetime, five times the audience of CNN. That's not a victory. Now, most of the liberal media ignore that story and will not tell you how dominant Fox News has become. That's why many newspapers are failing. They simply don't tell you the truth. But writing in the Miami Herald, TV critic Glenn Garvin did tell the truth. He then proceeded to read a quote from Glenn Garvin. For years, the hands-down winner in any poll of newspaper TV writers or of TV people as the TV critic the most in Fox's pocket, the farthest down the lunatic fringe rabbit hole. Here, we read Glenn Garvin in hopes of seeing something shrill and reactionary to reaffirm that we're on the money. Instead of two hours to help Haiti, Fox gives us Billow. Instead of here's the phone number to help Haiti, Billow gives himself, himself, patting himself on the back, and this comic relief Garvin smooching his hiney. And then the coup de gras... To be fair, CNN has covered the Haiti story very well. There's no question about it, and I applaud the CNN correspondents who've done such a good job, but our Fox News correspondents are just as good. Then why don't you put them on instead of stroking yourself in front of the American public? Just once, just an hour off from your desperate attempt to bring validation and meaning into your purposeless little life by reading out the ratings again. Bill, this is a new emotion for me. I don't know how else to say this. I am now embarrassed for you. Bill, I, I have I have big ratings. That makes my whole life worthwhile. O'Reilly, today's worst person in the world. man in me
3: will do nearly any task And ask for compensation There's a little here In Storm clouds are raging all around my door. I think to myself I might not take it anymore. Take a woman like your cane to find the man in
4: me. What's happened to this country? Our way? Isn't there an incredibly oversimplistic nostalgia we could be wallowing in? <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> John Oliver filed
5: this report.
6: America is in an unprecedented tailspin, our country is unrecognizable.
5: The values that you grew up with, that I grew up with, are going to be under siege. Frankly, you're talking about seeing the
7: America you and I grew up in disappear forever.
5: Obama is literally ripping apart the foundation of the America that we knew and grew up in.
6: So what was America like before it was ruined?
5: You remember this commercial?
8: Want my Coke? It's okay, you can have it.
1: No, no you can
8: have it Okay Thanks.
1: If a
5: politician told you right now that he could make that happen again you could go back and and to those simpler times when people were together
3: you'd do it in a heartbeat wouldn't you But the truth is no politician can take you there. They can only take you farther from there.
6: He's right. And no one knows how wonderful 1979 was more than the Coke executive who put this legendary ad on the air. First off, huge fan. Um, Tell me how you captured the greatest time in American
0: history. You know, I I don't think that the 1970s was the greatest time in America. Uh, Wrong. It was. So carry on. Well, it was was not. I mean, 79 was a time of the Carter malaise. It was the time of the the Iranian uh, crisis. I remember standing in line
6: waiting for gas. I don't think that was the greatest time. Uh, I don't remember any of that. All I remember is a little boy holding up a bottle of Coke to Mean Joe Green and capturing the hearts of America. It was not a reflection of America. It was just a commercial. But it was a huge success for Coca-Cola. We were getting our butts kicked by Pepsi. That's why we took it off the air. You did what? We took, have a Coke and a smile off the air. It didn't work. Okay, so if it wasn't the 70s, it must have been when Hannity grew up, the 1960s.
8: Well, it was good where the music was concerned. Mm-hmm. Not good where women's rights were concerned, or civil rights, or the war. But... It was
6: that Mad Men era of the sixties. It was a, a much, much more glamorous, much handsomer time to be alive.
8: Let's get serious. This was a time when women died on kitchen tables because of botched abortions. Oh. This was a time when you had to have a, a witness for rape.
6: It was a simpler time, wasn't it? <laughs> I would disagree. So if not the 60s, this magical time must have been O'Reilly's era, the 1950s.
7: Fear was all around us. There was polio, there were communists, there was an A-bomb that was going to go off. I thought the world was going to end and I would get to do the things
6: that I wanted to do. All right. The 40s, then? Well, during the 40s and beyond, lynching was a great pastime. Did you know that? It gets people outdoors. Oh, my It's, a, it's it active. Was a America fun. was active, then.
3: You couldn't go to a particular restaurant. They might let me go with you in some restaurants as long as you spoke for me.
6: Okay. Yeah. The, okay. I can do that. As long as you said,
3: the nigger's okay.
6: Uh, so all right, I think we're done here. So it's the thirties. It has to be the (sighs) thirties. Okay. Okay. Oh, boy.
4: What what do you want to know?
6: Uh, well, this had better be the best time in American history, because I literally don't think I can go back any further.
4: It wasn't the greatest, I don't think.
6: What was, what was wrong with it?
4: We couldn't have enough food, we didn't have what we wanted.
6: I had to quit high school. <laughs> yeah, we, used to, we used to play games. What games did you play? Climb poles. You, climbing poles was oh, po- climbing a pole. great game. And my mother would say, well, what are you doing up there coming down? You're gonna, I said, no, you're going to hit me. So you play your cheap game of climbing the pole and then you come down and get beaten. Well, I don't know. Taught me a good lesson. What was that lesson? Duck?
4: You don't Uh, know how bad it was for uh, a child, especially a teenager.
6: Okay, so just when was the simpler, better time that all these great Americans want us to return to?
5: I think back when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid. When I was a kid.
6: That's it. They were children. They were all children it was a better simpler time because they were all six years old for children the world is always a happy uncomplicated place
0: i just love my country and i fear for it
9: why is it crying
6: well you don't understand eddie because you're too young but one day you will be crying like a little girl on television because of the america that you have lost I won't. yeah you will do that no, I won't. Yeah, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Glenn Becker's mythologized his childhood so much, he's completely lost touch with reality. Why can't he
8: go to school
6: to learn? I don't know why, Idiot. I mean, that's a good question. That's a good question.
0: Cinderella's on a bedroom floor. She's got a crush on the guy at the liquor store. Because Mr. Charming don't come home anymore. She forgets why she came here. Sleeping
10: beauty's in a foul mood for shame She says, none for you, dear prince I'm tired today I'd rather sleep my whole life away Than have you keep me from dreaming I don't care for your fairy tales You're so worried about the maiden Though you know she's only waiting On the next best thing Next best thing remarkable political moment to share with you. You know that um, former Vice President Dick Cheney's daughter Liz Cheney has formed a neoconservative pressure group, right? That's the ostensible reason why she gets on TV so much these days. Remarkably, on one of those myriad TV appearances, someone actually confronted Liz Cheney about something she's been arguing for that makes no sense. Amazing. Somebody confronted her. finally happened. I want to show our viewers a little bit of this ad that you all are running uh, in the wake of this, hitting the president for a tardy uh, response uh, to all this. You show him playing golf, 24 uh, hours later, the president coming out and finally saying something uh, another day uh, after that, 46 hours later.
7: But what already is apparent is that there was a mix of human and systemic failures that contributed to this potential catastrophic breach of security.
10: arguing that uh, that the responses were much better under President Bush, yet, as many Democrats and others have pointed out, President Bush waited, I think, six days before doing much about Richard Reed, the shoe bomber. Uh,
9: Well, I think that you've got to go back here and look at um, the way this president has dealt with terror since he's been in office. And the point of that ad was this notion that you cannot win a war if you're treating it as sort of an inconvenient sidelight. Wow, what a
10: rhetorical duck. It's like she didn't even
9: hear the question.
10: Let's see that again on the instant replay. President Bush waited, I think, six days before doing much about Richard Reed, the shoe bomber.
9: Uh, Well, I think that you've got to go back here and look at... Okay, stop. Freeze it! Alright, this is the
10: key part of the interview. Liz Cheney, why are you hitting President Obama for waiting four days before he talked about an attempted attack when President Bush waited six days? That's the question, and it's a good one. So here's her answer. Now watch her mouth as she opens it and closes it, and words come out.
9: Um, the way this president has dealt with terror since he's been in office.
10: That's it, right there. She gets asked about President Bush and his record on responding to terror, and then she completely ignores the question and starts talking about Obama again. This president has dealt with terror since he's been in office. Ta-da! She just completely ignores the question about the double standard for Bush and Obama, just completely ignores it. And the interview plods on and they move on. Amazing. And for the record, the president was in front of cameras on Monday, December 28th, talking about the Christmas Day bombing, which, according to my math, is three and not four days after the attempted attack on Christmas Day. She was implying four. I don't know if Ms. Cheney will ever feel a need to answer questions about the things that her pressure group does. But the questions worth asking about that group and its activities are mounting. For example, there was their pseudo mini documentary about the people of Standish, Michigan, about how Standish was being railroaded by evil politicians who wanted to flood their little town with prisoners from Guantanamo that these folks in Standish really didn't want. I would love to hear Liz Cheney explain how she squares the people of Standish being forced into this mini movie plot with the fact that the city council of Standish, Michigan unanimously passed a resolution asking for Guantanamo prisoners to be sent there. I don't think she's ever going to feel like she needs to explain herself, but I am curious. There was also this ad released by Cheney's group in October deriding this very TV network for criticizing Liz Cheney but refusing to debate her, which was very awkward because we kept asking her to come on this show to, you know, debate, and she kept turning us down. I understand, a lot of people say no to being on this show, but not a lot of them do so while claiming that MSNBC is afraid to debate them. Be not afraid, Ms. Cheney, I promise I will not bite. So far the Liz Cheney pressure group has demanded to debate people who are perfectly willing to debate her, but she won't do it. They have tried to get us to pity the poor pushed around people of a small town in Michigan who asked for what Cheney wants us to pity them for. And they've attacked President Obama for something that President Bush did. If that were my record, I would want to be good at ducking questions, too.
0: You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your
7: support.
5: This week, we're celebrating a dubious anniversary. One year ago, we Americans saw the dawn of a new era. Well no surprise, the USA Today published an in-depth retrospective of the first year of Brad Pitt's beard. (laughs) On January 19th, 2009, here was the introduction. There it is, right up there. Okay, just a little scruff on the upper lip. So young, so innocent. One year later, what a mess. (laughs) Americans just feel this beard is growing in the wrong direction. (laughs) Worst of all, Jimmy, a bead? (laughs) Really, Brad? I just hope you're researching a role as a douchebag. Of course, that's not the only milestone we're marking this week. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of Barack Obama's inauguration. I'll never forget where I was that day, at Kinko's, making a fake Kenyan birth certificate. (laughs) But one year later, I have to ask, has Barack Obama failed, or has he succeeded at failing? Which brings us to tonight's word. (laughs) (laughs) Two-faced. Folks, Obama's presidency has been the biggest disappointment since William Henry Harrison failed to keep his campaign promise to live 41 days. (laughs) Obama promised change, but everything's exactly the way it was a year ago. And folks, I am not the only one who's noticed it.
9: Obama has not accomplished anything. He doesn't seem
5: to be able to lead. He, he's been dithering. He, he hasn't delivered on anything. Obama's done anything. He's really accomplished nothing. Yeah. He's been in office for a year and hasn't cleared a single piece of brush. But the fact that Obama has done nothing is only half the story. Even more disturbing is how much he has done. Barack Obama is distro- he's taken over banks and car companies and financial institutions.
2: The administration has taken over the auto industry. The U.S. government has taken over and is running giant corporations.
10: He's going to change our capitalistic society. Change our economy,
5: change our social structure. If Obama has his way, we're going to be enslaved to the government. Enslaved! <laughs> That's what those shovel-ready jobs were for. Obama is building a sphinx. <laughs> You see, folks, Barack Obama is both an iron-fisted autocrat and a laughably incompetent waffler. I've said it before. He's Adolf Carter. <laughs> now, saying that Obama is doing nothing and destroying everything may seem contradictory to some people, but not to people who don't understand the word contradictory. <laughs> you see, folks... I... I am an absolutist things are either <laughs> all black or things are all white so when Obama both takes over the auto industry yet folds on all his health promises it's like he's being half black and half white how is that even possible <laughs> now some say that Obama is just complex That while he has ambitious policy goals, he's willing to accomplish them through repeated compromise because he understands that America believes in moderation. Now I suppose (laughs) that could explain conservatives' wildly inconsistent descriptions of his behavior. But I believe, (laughs) I believe that there is a simpler explanation. There are two Barack Obamas. (laughs) Consider this. You never see them in the same room together. (laughs) Think about it. Not much. (laughs) It's like the Mirror Universe episode in Star Trek, where good Kirk dithers over how to save the alien race, and evil Kirk tries to sell them cut-rate hotel rooms on Priceline. (laughs) Well, folks, I say it's time to end this deception. America's pundits don't know when to express paralyzing fear and when to express dismissive contempt. That's why I am calling on the tyrant Obama to visibly distinguish himself from milquetoast Obama by growing an evil twin goatee. That way, when we see this guy, we know to say this. It's the first Nobel Prize um, uh, given for attendance. And when we see this guy, we know to say this. He is dismantling the United States one piece at a time. Because either there are two completely different Barack Obamas, or in his first year in office, during a time of unprecedented national crisis, we conservative pundits are attacking our president no matter what he does or doesn't do. And that would make us (laughs) assholes. And that's the word. We'll be right back. Or did you work it in your whole life
4: Either way it worked out fine Cause you're an asshole tonight Yes you're
10: an A S-S-H-O-L-E And don't you try
2: Washington Post came under fire for running a news piece from something called the Fiscal Times about the creation of a commission to recommend cuts in entitlement spending. The Fiscal Times is a for-profit news outlet launched by Pete Peterson, a billionaire who has spent millions promoting cuts in entitlement spending. But on January 10th, Washington Post ombud Andy Alexander maintained that it was false to say that by publishing the Fiscal Times story, the Post, quote, took special interest propaganda and passed it off as a news story, unquote. But Alexander doesn't make clear how the piece differed from one that explicitly set out to advance the specific political objectives of its producer. His main argument seems to be that the Washington Post wanted it that way. He writes that, quote, the story idea came from Post editors, not the Fiscal Times, close quote. And he quoted the paper's economic editor as saying, quote, we had complete and utter control, close quote. What they had control over, though, was an article that the Post ombud agrees was deeply flawed. He criticized the paper for a glaring lack of transparency with its readers, for not disclosing the Fiscal Times connection to Peterson and his interest in the issue. It covers, as well as his financing of not one, but two groups cited in the piece without disclosure. Alexander also noted the lack of opposing viewpoints and wrote that, quote, having its first story focused on one so closely tied to Peterson was inviting suspicion about its motives, close quote. Yeah, you could say that, but why shouldn't that suspicion extend to news outlets that publish such work?
4: Talking on the show about global warming, in particular how some stolen emails seem to show that a leading climate change study center mistreated some of the data its science was based on. Now, our point was not that global warming isn't happening or what it is. Uh, I myself have already invested in pre-beachfront property in what is now eastern Tennessee. The point was that if you're getting into the global warming debate, you've got to have your numbers straight. Otherwise, you risk compromising your hard-won credibility. Fox News was making the same point just last Friday.
5: What do you think? Uh, did scientists actually uh, falsify stuff? Let's go ahead and take a look. Did scientists uh, falsify research to support their own theories on global warming? This is a brand new Rasmussen poll. About 60% of you say uh, somewhat likely. 35% say very likely. So you got 90, You got a lot of people right there thinking it is likely, although 26% say not very likely. <laughs>
4: So, in attacking scientists for <laughs> falsifying data to support their theories on global warming, <laughs> you have cited a poll that adds up to 120 <laughs> percent. This is, uh, what's known in the business, what's known in the business is uh, perfection? <laughs> The only way you could perhaps top this Sunday is with a couple of nuts completely ignoring the mathematical impossibility in front of them to further solidify their talking points du jour.
9: In the spirit of fairness, I believe that question was asked before these emails were revealed. So that poll number may actually be different now. If it was <laughs> Substantially today. higher? It might be. Close yes. to 100% now? <laughs> yeah. Actually,
4: actually in the spirit of fairness, we should mention that, that this Rasmussen poll seems to have a margin of error of monkey f- ridiculous. <laughs> This raises a larger point about something that we have traditionally suspected of Fox News. We tend to believe that with their fair and balanced slogan and tendency to go after political opponents through passive-aggressive wonderment, a la, isn't it interesting that Obama gave a speech in Berlin? You know, Hitler used to speak in Berlin. We begin to believe that the organization may be a tad disingenuous. And now I believe Gretchen Carlson Maybe another example of this. On Fox and Friends, she plays the troubled mom. It's just trying to make sense of this crazy modern country we've got. Like when Hugo Chavez referred to Obama as an ignoramus.
9: I would just wanted to see how much of an insult it was to be called an ignoramus, since I didn't know what it meant. I just Googled it. Uh, For all of you out there who don't know what ignoramus is like. It can't be good. It's an ignorant lawyer. We all know Barack Obama is a lawyer. I mean, I'm I'm no fan of Chavez, but Obama
4: is a lawyer. (laughs) And, of course, all that
9: talk about money and business just confuses the heck out of the old girl. For the first time, the president warning of a double-dip recession. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're like me, I was like, "Mm, what exactly does that mean? So here is what it is. Apparently, it is when you have a recession followed by a short-lived recovery followed by another recession. (gasps)
4: So it turns out the, the double dip means Obama's not taking us all out for ice cream, but leading the country to an economic disaster. And God forbid all these czars we hear about Obama appointing, you know, the ones that never seemed
9: to bother anyone when they were appointed during the Bush years. You know, when I looked up czar in the dictionary, or googled it, the word that came up was king. And I was wondering to myself why we are having so many czars slash kings now in America. All right, look.
4: I'll give you a double-dip recession, but czar? You didn't know what a czar was. How do you get a job on television if you appear to be one of those people who need to pin their address to their coat so a stranger can help them find their way home, unless, 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 unless you're just dumbing yourself down to connect with an audience that you think sees intellect as an elitist flaw, but that'd be easy to check, so I googled Gretchen Carlson, and and guess what came up, she was valedictorian of her high school and went to Stanford and graduated with honors and spent time studying abroad at oxford yeah not the mississippi oxford (laughs) the europe one (laughs) not to mention she won the miss america crown in 1989 by doing this A classical violin rendition of de Sarasate's <laughs> And if you know anything about Zegurnervaisen, you know that's one of the harder vaisens to Zigurner. Of <laughs> course, if she entered today, she'd probably just dress up like Raggedy Ann and sing my funny Valentine. <laughs> All I'm saying is, baby, Gretchen, come back. You don't have to stash your IQ in an offshore account. Just because you're on the couch with Jack Tripper and Janet doesn't mean you have to pretend to be Chrissy. So I don't want to have to turn you on tomorrow and see you're actually surprised that the Interior Secretary is in charge of the outside stuff. From now on, I want to see you give it 120%.
3: But he already knows it Cause she's fingering his hair And she's fighting his toes His really plumbed out And in her eyes she shows us Hey, what's the hurry? Let's drive more slow Push through a dress From her edible legs And as he looks into her eyes He is quick to realize That he better pull over Before he gets too dope Cause if he really wants her Now the time is why Freeway Riding down the freeway Cruising Now he's really cruising When the plums Take effect Yes, the plums She's, mind. She's no longer a now her are
1: gone. Yeah. Good evening. President Nixon reportedly will announce his resignation tonight.
8: For decades, Walter Cronkite was the standard for broadcast journalism. And as they wrote their stories, young reporters would often ask themselves, what would Walter think? Well, today, it's not the memory of Walter Cronkite or even Edward R. Murrow that motivates some reporters. More often, it's a fear that their stories might get picked apart by John Stewart.
4: After Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, attempted to blow up an airliner in 2001, President Bush did not publicly respond for six days and stayed on his vacation. I say this as a means of providing just a slight bit of context to some of the criticism our current president has faced concerning a similar, or some would say, exact same kind of
5: attack. For more than three days after the incident, President Obama remained silent. The president waits 72 hours before we hear from him.
8: That's a clip from The The Daily Show this past week. In a recent article in Newsweek, NBC Nightly News anchor Brian Williams wrote that Jon Stewart is the guy he thinks of when his team considers which stories to air on its nightly newscasts. He asks, will it pass the Jon Stewart test? And Brian Williams joins me from the NBC studios in New York. Hello. I should quickly
11: add, we have another set of standards we put our stories through, but John's always in the back
8: of my mind. Thanks for having me. I mean, you write in, in this essay in Newsweek, you write, On occasion when we've been on the cusp of doing something completely inane, I will gently suggest to my colleagues that we simply courier the tape over to John Stewart's office to spare the Daily Show interns the time and trouble of logging our broadcast that night. Um, how often do you do that? Oh,
11: I think I do it mentally quite a bit. Uh, when words are about to pass through your lips that you can envision making a damn fine clip on The, the Daily Show that night, try another chain of words. Try another way of putting it. Um, and none of this is to give a show on Comedy Central any more weight as a journalistic check and balance. But you know what? It's not a bad thing. Because a lot of the work that John and his staff do is serious. They hold people to account for errors and sloppiness. It's usually delivered with a smile, sometimes not. When and where it gets interesting is when a guy like Jim Cramer came on and really bore the sole brunt of the housing collapse and other ills that particular night the parlance in journalism for what happened there is a takedown I understand you wanna make finance entertaining but it's not a f- game
5: John, don't you want guys like me who have been in it to show the shenanigans what else can
4: I do I mean last no, night's no, no, show no, 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 I want desperately for that but I feel like that's not what we're getting what we're getting is listen You knew what the banks were doing, and yet were touting it for months and months. The entire network was.
11: And I think in the days, weeks, and months that followed, Kramer was given a little more slack. And John was called out for a kind of an attack interview where the odds were stacked against Jim Kramer. But on a night-to-night basis, what John does is hold our feet to the fire, we in the
8: news media. It's healthy and helps us that he's out there. Do you think the re- that general reporting has improved because of John Stewart's scrutiny?
11: Oh, that's a great question. I think people are more wary But the fact that The Daily Show has no shortage of raw materials with which to put together a broadcast every night shows that there's no shortage of uh, errors and people falling short in their jobs.
8: Uh, Brian Williams, as you know, many Americans do not trust, do not like people like you and me. They have a low opinion of journalism in general. Do you think that The Daily Show sort of feeds into that negative impression at all? I guess they do.
11: There's a populism about them which is kind of... Clever and crafty and perverse, when you think about it, and I would uh, obviously defend their right. I think it's fantastic. I've over and over called it the missing branch of government.
8: I mean, are you ever jealous? Like, do you ever sort of wish you could do some of those things?
11: Well, I get to get my yayas out when I get invited on shows like uh, you know Leno and Letterman and and Tina all things Faye, and all things considered. Yet. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I've got to add, wait, wait, don't tell me, because they've been nice enough to, to grill me on stage a few times.
8: Uh, Brian I'm not sure if you know this, but it's actually John Stewart's 11th anniversary with the show on Monday. Is there anything you, you, you want to say to him on this special occasion? I looked it up. It's a Hallmark site on the
11: web, and the appropriate gift for 11 years is a knife. So um, I'll bring it over to him. I'll present it to him by hand. No, I we are uh, off-camera acquaintances, and... Um, When I go on there, I love seeing the posts on the web. Do you think they were fighting? Williams seems to hate Stewart. And it's always fun to watch the uh, after-action reports, as our friends in the Pentagon call them. Uh, He's a great guy. I hope he keeps doing what he's doing because he has had an effect. And anyone out there that keeps us all on the straight and narrow and policed up, I think is doing a good job. Will you win? It's your show now. So what's it going to be? Cause people will tune in How many train wrecks do we need to see Before we lose touch And We thought this was low Well it's bad getting worse huh? where all the good people go? I've been changing channels I don't see them on the TV shows where all the good people go? of what we saw They got this and that with a rattle attack testing
10: one And finally, the New York Times on November 21st ran a piece about some potential changes in the Japanese media. The particulars are somewhat interesting, but the description of the problems of the Japanese media is what's most intriguing. How bad is it in Japan? Well, the Times tells us that the media there is dominated by, quote, a century-old cartel-like arrangement in which reporters from major news media outlets are stationed inside government offices and enjoy close, constant access to officials close quote well that's bad but there's more critics say that the system quote has produced a relatively spineless press that feels more accountable to its official sources than to the public in their apparent reluctance to criticize the government the critics say the news media fail to serve as an effective check
0: on authority quote now how on earth can they live that way I am more proud of this show and love working on it more than anything else I've ever done in my life and the members who sign up and stick with the show are the ones who allow me to follow my passion members sign up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year to support the show in return besides my undying gratitude they also receive bonus material through the members only raw feed this includes audio and video content from the show and bonus material that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. All of this is delivered in organized feeds so members can access what they want and ignore what they don't. If you're a regular listener of this show and appreciate the service it provides, please consider becoming a member by visiting the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks a lot.
4: As you know, it's been a little bit of a rough ride. For the Obama administration, over the past few months, unemployment remains high. They have suffered multiple special election losses, and from what I understand, they've even lost John Stewart. Oh my God! Oh my God! They've lost John Stewart, and as Stewart goes, so goes an incredibly small yet, for some reason, demographically valuable segment of our population. to advertising yeah. You know how President Bush suffered when he lost John Stewart? I mean, <laughs> that guy was run out of office after only eight years.) <laughs> but even with President Obama's troubles, nobody was prepared for this. Obama joins GOP? What? <laughs> what a front-runner actually Obama just joined the GOP for lunch at a Baltimore conference where obviously behind closed doors they will speak candidly to each other it's the kind of stuff Americans don't get to see
3: what were the old annual deficits under Republicans have now become the monthly deficits under Democrats the national debt has increased
7: thirty percent the fact of the matter is is that when we came into office the deficit was one point three trillion dollars one point three so so when you say that suddenly i've got a monthly budget that is higher than the annual or a monthly deficit that's higher than the annual deficit left by the republicans that's factually just not true and you know it's not true to listen to the debate and frankly how some of you went after this bill you'd think that this thing was uh some bolshevik plot a lot of you have gone to appear at ribbon cuttings for the same projects that you voted against wasteful spending is usually spent somehow outside of your district have you noticed that the spending in your district tends to seem pretty sensible. I couldn't find credible economists who would back up the claims that you just made. If you're calling for just across-the-board tax cuts, and then on the other hand saying that we're somehow gonna balance our budget, I'm gonna wanna take a look at your math. The issue of deficit and debt is another area where there has been a tendency for some inconsistent statements. How's that?
4: I'll tell you how that is. That's awesome. Now let me do my impression. Let me do my let me do my impression very quickly. <clears throat> let me do my impression of how Republican lawmakers would be depicted in this event for the Darkly comic HBO Obama Biopic if John Adams
7: were black. Okay, this is the event. All right. Give me the audio. The issue of deficit and debt is another area where. There has been a tendency for some inconsistent statements, how's that?
4: (laughs) I completely ruined that meal. President Obama insisted that by painting his programs as destroying America, Republicans have made it impossible for them to engage in meaningful problem solving with the president. Or they risk being seen by constituents as accessories to that crime. But what about the programs Republicans are behind? For instance, some Republicans believe to control health care costs, we only need really one big fix.
1: I want to actually see some real... uh...
5: TORT REFORM. I BELIEVE IN TORT REFORM. WE PROPOSE TORT REFORM.
10: WE NEED TORT REFORM.
5: THE PRESIDENT WON'T EVEN CONSIDER THAT IN THE BILL. THE PRESIDENT'S A TORT LOVER.
4: OBAMA AND TORTS SITTING IN A TREE.
7: YOU KNOW WHAT THEY'RE DOING. YOU KNOW, IF if I'M TOLD, FOR EXAMPLE, THAT THE SOLUTION TO DEALING WITH HEALTH CARE COSTS IS TORT REFORM. Something that I've said, I am willing to work with you on, but the CBO or other experts say to me, you know, at best, this could reduce health care costs relative to where they're growing by a couple of percentage points or save $5 billion a year. Then you, you can't make the claim that that's the only thing that we have to do. It's like he's seeing their talking points In bullet
4: time. (laughs) And you know what? He knew it. He knew it. And they knew
3: it. Dr. Tom Price from Georgia. And then we'll have one more after that if your time permits, Mr. President. You know, I'm having fun. Okay. This is great. So,
4: why should I leave? I'm dunking on you. You cannot stop me. I'm in the zone. (laughs) These are horrendous. It's interesting, when you have one of these in your hand, you can't not feel like an ass. (laughs) It just makes you feel like a... Now, obviously, this type of candid give and take between the president and his political rivals is somewhat unprecedented in our pre-staged kabuki political culture. CNN carried it live start to finish, MSNBC carried it live start to finish, and more than likely replayed it at home using the slow-mo button with their pants off, and Fox, they carried it live for a while.
3: All the legislative proposals. So I understand that. that. Were offered I've, I've actually read your bills. Well, that's Throughout. President
5: Obama. He is meeting
3: with House Republicans in Baltimore, answering a bunch of questions, everything from energy to health care. Uh, the president, at times, being a little bit combative. We're going to cut
4: away because <laughs> this is against the narrative that we present. <laughs> exactly how Fox News is produced. I can just only imagine that at some point, they realize this event violated the Prime Directive, causing what I can only assume is a typically sedentary network exec to pack a year's worth of exercise into one feverish run down the hallway shouting, Cut the feed!
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. I, uh, I I just want to make a quick comment on the topic of today's show. And this feels like the sort of thing I've said before, but I think it bears repeating, that the the, sh- the shows that I do focused on the media are, I, I really think, by far my favorite. They just seem to be the most fun, the most ludicrous, the, the most entertaining, it, just in my opinion. And on top of that, I think that this topic more than anything, gives me the, the feeling that my show and what I do and what others who kind of do similar things to me, you know, the other independent media outlets out there or, you know, just individuals doing a blog or, or anything along those lines, this, this kind of groundswell of net roots is so important. You know, it's, it's these shows on the media that show how dysfunctional the media is that it makes it so much more important to realize that there are other places to get your news and on top of just having other places to get your news like progressive news sites but to have people who whose entire job it is to dissect what other people are doing you know you get another layer of scrutiny there you know you the if the, the way it's supposed to work is the media scrutinizes you know, the government and the people and, and just generally scrutinizes the world and brings you the the news and shows you kind of what's going right and what's going wrong and informs you. But it's so important to have this extra layer to scrutinize the people writing the news to make sure that's being done correctly. So it's it's, it's this topic that, that makes me feel, you know, more than anything else, that this little show really does have kind of a place in the world to not not go out there and attempt to make yet more content just you know add more content to the 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 fire hydrant of of media you can you know tap into you know there's more out there than any of us could possibly watch so for there to be places where you can get kind of the digest version of the news as well as the you know critical eye looking back on the news you know just even shows like the daily show that are wide you know very mainstream but not the media is you know I, I think just really important that that they exist you know and so every time I put together one of these shows on the media that this I I get this feeling so I just wanted to kind of get that out of my system and say it once again even though I'm sure I've said it before and so and now of course I want to mention uh, there's even bonus content to this show for the users of the iPhone and iPod touch application the clip today is from the Colbert report doing a great commentary uh, wagging his finger at Fox News when Fox came out and said, look, we've had way too many on-air screw-ups, just like really blatantly stupid things that they've done. So they instituted a zero-tolerance policy on on-air screw-ups, and Colbert was uh, was not happy about that. So check that out in the bonus content section on the application. Of course, members already got that clip in their bonus feed. Members, of course, help support the show and are, like, 80 or 90% of of what make this show possible. I mean, it just couldn't be done without them, so I want to thank a couple of members. First of all, Tom C. signed up on October 31st and went above and beyond the, the monthly donation amount, so thank you very much, Tom. And Kenneth G. signed up on January 12th and went ahead and paid for a full year in advance. So thanks, Kenneth, Tom, and all the other members who make the show possible. It just so happens that this... This show right here is the very last show I will be producing as a part-time podcaster. We've come to the middle of February. This is when I said I would be uh, finishing my obligations with my, you know, quote-unquote real job. I told the story recently of how, you know, that position came to an end. It wasn't entirely my choice to leave, but I didn't entirely see it as a bad thing either. I'm really excited to be able to do the podcast as as a full-time job and have no one but the members to thank for me being able to do that. So if you're interested in helping support the show, if you appreciate what I do, then please consider becoming a member. It's, it's the only way I can stay afloat. Of course, there are lots of free ways that you can help support the show, not least of which is voting every month at Podcast Alley. Only with the support of listeners like you, this show is able to maintain its place in the top 10 list on PodcastAlley.com, which means that it gets listed on the homepage and anyone who goes to podcast alley.com can see us right there ranked highly. And, you know, obviously a a well-regarded show if it's on on the top 10 list. And so I really do need your help to keep us in the top 10 list this month and every month. So whether or not you can become a member of the show or, you know, do anything else to support the show, I really just want to ask you to commit to the like 30 seconds I'll give it maybe maybe every once in a while it'll take a minute and a half. If you, maybe if your internet connection is slow, just be willing to donate 30 to 90 seconds every month, just once a month to vote for the show on Podcast Alley. Okay, and so that is it for today. Besides all of those other things, the most basic way to support the show is just by continuing to tell all your friends about it. There are an obscene number of ways to stay subscribed to the show. So, one is definitely right for you or any of your friends, whether you're you know into podcasting and all the details that go with it or not, you can get an email notifier for every new episode. You can subscribe to the website itself. You just can't possibly go wrong. Besides the show itself, you can stay connected by visiting us at twitter.com slash best of the left and facebook.com slash best of the left and members get more material than just the show. They get the members only raw feed including you know video material for the stuff that goes into the show as well as bonus content that is great but gets edited out for time and doesn't make it into the full show so members get that as members only bonus exclusive content and finally links to all the music and the sources used in the show are always in the show notes listed on the blog after every episode So coming to you from inside the beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC, my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Wednesday and every weekend, soon to be 10 times a month, thanks only to the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. burning on a
8: shiny
10: sheet.
11: The only maker that you wanna live A dying man in a living room The shadow bases the
2: floor